Our epistle lesson this morning comes from the epistle to 1 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving should be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. This was attested at the right time. For this I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. May God bless the reading of the word. Well, we are in week two of our sermon series, Games Children Play, based on the classic games that likely all of us played as children and that children still play today. And I love this series because while I'm not as young as I used to be, I love to play games. I love to play. I love to use my imagination. And luckily, I'm married to someone who shares my love of game and play. When Micah and I lived in Atlanta, we joined a rock climbing gym and would go and climb rocks with our friends from seminary. It was always a great brain break. When we moved to Mobile, Micah and I began playing racquetball with Sterling at least once a week. And as a side note, you should all know, Sterling could probably beat everyone in this room in racquetball. I don't think we've ever won in a game against Sterling. Now we've gotten into pickleball, the fastest growing sport in America. We also have been playing a spades game with our best friends, um, and we're playing to 50,000 points. I don't know why we set this, but we've been playing for over three years, and at this pace, it will be seven years before one team is declared the winner of the most ultimate game of spades ever. When friends and family come in town, we love to get out board games or dominoes. We just love it. I'm convinced that games are not just for children, but are great for adults too with the connection of mind, body, and spirit. So Sterling kicked off this series last week with a little game of hide-and-go-seek. And for those of you who are here, you know we actually played hide-and-go-seek in this room. We didn't, you know, get up from our places and go hide, but Sterling encouraged us to use our imaginations and to hide in one of the corners of the room, and then he would pick a corner, and if you were in it, you were out. And so we did this until someone was declared a winner. We continued the game theme at Spark on Wednesday night. We played four corners, we did relay races, we did a hula hoop game and freeze tag. John and James Harvey, fear, not fearfully, bravely, courageously led the children in this chaotic and fun night of games. And so today, we have to keep the momentum going. Sterling set the bar, we have to play a game here in the church. So today we're focusing on the game telephone, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. It starts with a simple sentence or phrase that is whispered through the line of people, and at the end we see how similar or different the phrase or sentence is. And I thought that there's a group of people in this room who rarely get to participate in like the congregational things, and that's the choir. So. 
I have passed on the special phrase to Joe Stewart, and he is going to pass it to Bonnie, who's going to pass it to Averill, who's going to pass it to Leanne, and then we'll let you know what it was supposed to be. So let's see how this goes. Say in the microphone. Would you rather have a toffee in your coffee or a something in your tea? That's that's pretty close. The message started, would you rather have toffee in your coffee or brie in your tea? It's pretty good, choir. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. It just rhymed, you know. I don't I don't know if people put brie in tea, but it just rhymed. I liked it. So they did a lot better than happened at the 9 o'clock service. The phrase in the 9 o'clock was, two tiny toads eat fat flying flies. And it ended up something like, two dogs eat flies or something, you know? (laughs) When you play this game, typically what happens is there's some truth in the message at the end, some skeleton of what started off at the beginning, but somewhere along the way, as the message goes through the people, things get twisted or misconstrued or misheard or misunderstood. And, you know, we all, while we don't play telephone game in the same way as adults, I think we all know stories that our families have passed on or that we have told that maybe get embellished or shifted over time. You know, like the guy who went fishing and caught a fish that was this big, and it was the biggest of the whole boat. And then the next time someone tells it, the fish was this big, and it was the biggest fish caught all season. And then before you know it, the fish was this big, the biggest fish anyone has ever caught. And you're like, there's some truth in there, but I don't know how big the fish was. I don't know how big it really was compared to everybody else's. But we do this with our words. And sometimes when it's things like, how big was the fish? What ranking was the fish? Or when we're playing the game telephone, toffee, coffee, brie, tea, these things are harmless. But what about when we're using our words to spread messages about other people, perhaps? Or about things we hear in the news that we really are not sure if's true? Or I know none of you would ever do this, but some people share hateful things on Facebook and even get in arguments with people in the comments section. You know, words are a tricky thing, and while it's easy to let words roll off of our tongue and think that it doesn't cause any harm, we need to remember that words hold weight. There are lots of biblical examples of this, and I'll give you three this morning. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Matthew 12.36-37 You will have to give an account for every careless word you utter. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Matthew 15, 18, what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. So how we speak and the words we choose to speak indicate something about our spiritual health, about our hearts. So how can we... As Christians, those representing Christ in the world, choose words that will bring about life and point people back to our God. Well, in this letter, Paul is teaching his mentee, Timothy, how to lead as a Christian leader. 
Timothy was an evangelist, so not a minister, not a pastor, but someone that was charged with telling others about the good news of Jesus, his life-saving love and mercy. So Paul begins this letter to Timothy, telling him that God has saved him and that he was the worst of all the sinners. That's why we played hide-and-go-seek last week, to demonstrate that God will go to any length to find us, no matter how far gone we think we are. Then Paul talks about the mercy that God extends to all people. Paul talks about, he warns him against false teachers, making sure you know where your knowledge is coming from. And then in our passage today, he zooms in on prayer as the fundamental Christian practice. We talk about prayer often in the church. There are some prayers that we say that do just roll off the tongue. The Lord's Prayer, for example, how many times have we said the Lord's Prayer together? Those words have worked their way from our mouths into our hearts, into our very souls. That's why some people, even when they lose parts of their memory, can still say the Lord's Prayer because words are powerful. You know, I think about the first prayer that I learned growing up was the now I lay me down to sleep prayer. My family and I said it every night before bed, and as we got older, we would tack things onto the end of it, but we always began with the now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. I think about if you've ever gone to camp, you may know some of the songs that people use to pray. The thank you, Lord, for giving us food. Thank you, Lord, for giving us friends. You know, we have these prayers, right, that we can build into communal things that we say, that we sing. But at the end of the day, prayer at its simplest form is a conversation with God. In verse 2, Paul gets specific and tries to urge Timothy to pray for everyone. Because here's the thing, when we go to God in prayer, I'm sure that most people in this room would admit that it's easiest to pray for ourselves first, and often that gets priority. We give God a laundry list of things we would really like him to help us with. Like if your kid has been sick for multiple weeks in a row, you may pray, God, please don't let my kids get sick this week. If you've ever driven on airport or on the interstate, you may say, please remove crazy drivers from the road. You may ask God a sincere, please help me figure out my career path. I feel stuck. I don't know what to do next. And there's nothing wrong with praying for ourselves, the needs that are closest to our heart. But in this letter, Paul is teaching Timothy that prayer is not only supposed to be about ourselves, about our needs, about our wants, but it's supposed to extend to everyone, to the needs of those around us. In verse 2, he says that we are even supposed to pray for kings and those that are in high positions. This feels a little different than most of the prayers that we focus on in church. We pray for those who are sick, those who are hungry, those who are poor, those who are needy. So this praying for power is interesting, and I think there's a deeper lesson in here for us. You see, at the time, Christians were in the minority in Roman times, and they were seen as opposition to the rest of the surrounding area, politically, religiously. And so they, were, they received a lot of persecution because of their radical beliefs in this guy named Jesus. And they believed that he died on a cross for them and came back and is coming back again. 
This was radical. So Paul telling Timothy to pray for these leaders, these kings, these people in high power, within this is a wealth of wisdom. This type of prayer pushes beyond those closest to us, our family, our friends. It pushes beyond likely people we've even met to people we don't know, we may not agree with or endorse. We may feel in complete conflict with some of these leaders of our world. Yet Paul is telling us it is important to pray for them. This is a call to have compassion for people beyond ourselves, beyond our people. It is a call to ask God to guide our leaders in ways that will bring about justice and mercy and peace for all people. And it is a call to genuinely care for our world leaders and to use our words in ways that bring life rather than spewing off frustrations about what they do wrong. Why? Because in verse 4, God, it says that God desires all of humanity to be saved and to receive this knowledge of truth. This type of prayer and petitioning for people we don't know, for people we will never know, for people we don't even like and have extreme disagreements with, may take some imagination. Just like a good children's game, we may have to imagine another reality. Perhaps we have to go back to when God created humanity and think about how God put a piece of the divine in each and every person that has been born and that will be born. And we have to imagine we are looking at these people as God would look at a beloved child. Or perhaps we have to go the other direction. We have to go to the end times, knowing that there is no one beyond God's redemption, beyond God's reconciliation, beyond God's forgiveness, and that we too can be agents of God's mercy and peace when we use our words to bring about life and when we pray for other people. But let's be honest, this is easier said than done, certainly, in a world where the enormity of problems we see, we see poverty, discrimination, food insecurity, healthcare challenges, war, climate change, and countless other things can feel insurmountable. Perhaps sometimes we look at the leaders of our world and we think, why aren't they doing anything? We think about ourselves as very small, a drop in the ocean of all the people in all of the world. And so rather than doing anything to help combat the evil and injustice we see in the world, we freeze up and we don't do anything at all. And while certainly thoughts and prayers should not be the end result of what we do in the face of tragedy, as Christians, prayer is a powerful and transformative tool we can use to combat evil. A few years ago, I received a copy of W.J. Dawson's book, Prayer, the Forgotten Secret, from a church member. And one of the sentences has really stuck with me about prayer. It says, the Christian conception of prayer is not to persuade God to do something for us, but to bring ourselves into such submission to God that he may be able to work in and through us. When we pray... We grow in our relationship with God. We grow in our relationship with understanding other people in the world. Our eyes and our hearts are opened as we begin to see the world more and more as it was intended to be and more as it could be. 
Friends, Paul has passed down this message to Timothy, who has now passed it down to us. Our world is not perfect. We do not always get it right. Sometimes the enormity of the problems and just mean people in the world can make us feel hopeless. But what if rather than grumble and complain about the problems of the world, what if we actually prayed for those things? What if we didn't allow our words to be hateful and violent in the face of anger and fear, but we modeled the love, the mercy, and the patience that Jesus has shown us? What if people heard the words flowing from our lips and knew that they came from Christ who lives deep within our hearts? Prayer is an invitation to take part in God's saving work. So may we be people who choose words that bring life, who speak encouragement and love to one another, who pray for others who we know and who we don't know, that they may come to know God who loves us, who saves us, and who is coming back from us. In the name of God, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen.